Today on BRC and Friends, co-hosts Mickey Scott Bay-Jones and Laura Modico-Heifetz join me in welcoming David Magdell, CEO of David Magdell & Associates, a publicity and marketing company. Just in time for Oscar season, David will talk about so many great projects that are telling stories that the world needs to hear. Those will all be in the show notes. But most importantly, what it means for LGBTQI plus and BIPOC folks to make an impact in filmmaking and how one's community plays such an important role in shaping and forming who we are. You are going to learn a lot. Thanks for being here. Now sit back and enjoy episode 51 with David Magdell. My name is Bruce Reyes-Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. Well, welcome all. As you have heard, we are joined today on BRC and Friends by David Magdell, who is a publicist and head honcho at David Magdell and Associates, uh, which is a very fancy name, which we'll find out that David is very fancy, and we're so excited to have him here. We also have uh, our co-hosts, Mickey and Laura, who are with us, and you have met earlier episodes. But uh, before we dive in and get to know David a little bit, uh, we want to introduce ourselves. So quickly, we'll just go around and if we can introduce your name so that folks understand pronunciations, how you like your names pronounced, pronouns if you like. And then let's be really super cheesy. What's one thing that's made your spirit sing in the last week? I I, I need to hear what are making people's uh, spirit sing. I'll go first and then I'll call on somebody. So I'm, I'm Bruce Reyes Chow. I use he, him pronouns. So one thing that's made my spirit sing is my two youngest children are home uh, for spring break, and they are just funny. I've turned into the old parent that just watches their kids interact. And like, I, I alternate from being weepy and laughing, and that I've needed that this week. And so that's one thing that's made my spirit sing. Mickey, I'd invite you to introduce yourself. All right. Uh, Mickey Scape Jones, she, her. Oh, something that has made me sing this week uh, is probably, um, maybe this is another like old people thing. Wow, we are just going to date ourselves with this. So I'm preparing to go out of town and I bought a new pill bottle. I did. <laughs> In fact, I bought two. <laughs> They're very cute. It's like this black plastic like cylinder and you open it up and then it has these little round ones for each day that are different colors, rainbow colors, right? Because yeah, queer. And then like they have an AM and a PM side and you like slide the little circle into the cylinder and then you can close it up and it has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- and I had to have two because sometimes I'm gone longer than a week. It's so cute. And I'm like super excited. And it's all for <laughs> vitamins because the number of vitamins I take to keep this body running at this age and with the current conditions of both the world and my physical body and mental state is a lot. So it's worth it to have an exceedingly cute rainbow pill bottle. That's what made me happy this week. <laughs> you go. There you go. Yes. Wow. Yes. I This podcast done 10 years ago, I'm pretty sure that would have not been on our list, but whatever. This is who we are. Here we, we are. are us. Here we are. We emerge. Laura. Laura, Mariko Heifetz. I use pronouns she, her, and hers. If you can't pronounce my name on the first go, you literally do not have to make a comment about it. You can just call me Laura. (laughs) Are we allowed to talk about menstruation on this particular? Allowed. Okay. It was either like I, I talk about something wholesome at work 
And I had so many things that made my heart sing this week, which is very excellent. But one of them is that I did find out that since apparently I'm still saddled with this particular biological process, and it, despite my wishing it would go away, it hasn't, uh, I found out that my HSA or like FSA covers the cost of period supplies, right? Ooh. And I am going to try the period underwear because I just cannot any longer with my current stuff. Uh, it's it's a great investment. I have used those. Uh, now I don't worry about that. Okay. But yes. I'm very excited. Uh, if you don't want to use that, what does it, what did make my heart sing also this week was I went and visited a campus ministry in Georgia and it was my first outing travel thing for work. And the students at the campus ministry just asked the freaking best questions. I went and preached and they always respond during the service. And they asked really great questions. And I was like, man. Awesome. This is so great. The breadth of what we cover on this show is pretty amazing. I just, I want you to have options in the editing. So David, if you were <laughs> worried about uh, what you might bring here, that like we're, we've dispelled all that hopefully right away. David, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Uh, I am David Magdale. I don't really have pronouns, but if I had to have them, it would be he, him, I guess. Um, I'm from that generation. It's like, just call me. <laughs> you know, call me David. And I'm like you, uh, Laura, you know, having the last name like Magdale. So I'm Filipino. It took all of me Magdale, right? So when I was younger, I would try to say that like in like first grade or something. And they would always say, oh, McDonald. I'm like, oh. <laughs> So it became Magdale the rest of my life. So it's fine, you know, and 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 I, I, I will own that. What made me sing this week, it's just been a crazy time, um, which I live for anyway in the work that I do, doing uh, film publicity and marketing and, and that. And we've had four films that got to the nomination phase, which is like pretty exciting. Um, and then we, I was at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas with three films that are world premiering. One is called Bad Acts. Uh, named after Bad Axe, Michigan. The other one is called Omiyari, a song film from Kishibashi. And then the other one was Hidden Kingdom. What made me sing this week was looking, and I took a step back, and I looked at the three projects that we have, and are they interrelated? And, inter and the interrelated part was all of them were Asian Pacific American filmmakers. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't by design, but it was what, you know, the universe threw at me, and I said, oh, hell yes. You know, because I'm, I'm, and Bruce knows this, that I've been a big proponent of making sure that our stories are being told by our people. Um, because I don't think our people, when I say our people, the Asian Pacific American community, art and film is not within uh, our community, has been not supported, but then we have these new people that are coming through. This one film in particular called Bad Axe is directed, produced, and edited by this young filmmaker, David Siv. He is of Cambodian-Mexican uh, descent. His father came over 43 years ago uh, when they escaped the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia with his six brothers and sisters and the mom. The story is about how this one family in Bad Axe, Michigan, which is a rural community outside of you know Detroit and all the major cities, and how this family has been surviving in the last two years, given how do they survive owning a bar restaurant? How do they keep their families safe? Uh, how do they support other groups like Black Lives Matter in an area that's very heavily Trump and with a lot of white supremacy? So the film really captures this moment. It's really a time capsule 
And just being in the room for the first responders, you know, that came to the film in Austin, 209 seats. We had all but nine seats that were sold. And you could feel the emotion from the people in the theater. And at the end, the standing ovation that they got, and it was just prolonged until they brought the family and they brought the whole family out on there. It was just amazing. But the biggest thing was meeting the father. His name is Chun, C-H-U-N, and him just telling his story about how he and his mother left Cambodia uh, at that time. They had to get out. The father had left, but they'd never seen him. I think he had passed. I think he got killed. And so they just had to make a run for their lives. And they ended up in Bad Axe, Michigan. Then he comes to Bad Axe. He's trying to make it work. He meets Rachel, this Mexican-American woman, and they marry and have these children that are raised there. They tried to open a donut store. That kind of failed. And then they opened up a bar and restaurant. But in the meantime, he's teaching martial arts. And he's doing everything that he can. In one of his, our meetings that we had as we, when we got to meet each other outside of being on Zoom, he talked about how sorry he felt for his kids that he raised, that he didn't have time to love them, but he was too busy trying to teach them how to survive, teach them because he had come from where survival was the key. And he just kind of apologized. He was, I'm just sorry that I couldn't give you the love that you guys deserved. You know, now that I have these two granddaughters, I'm going to get, they're going to get all my love with the stuff that you, I couldn't give to you. So I had to remind him. I said, don't you understand? I said, don't belittle yourself. I said, through teaching, it's a basis of love. And that just came in. And then he started to cry. And the, and the wife, she's up and she goes, see, I told you. And so <laughs> it's moments like that in the job that I have that I live for. And it underscores for me why I do what I do working in the documentary space, uh, doing PR and marketing. You know, I get to be around people who have allowed us to see their lives in 90 minutes on the big screen, who've opened up their lives and they're telling their story. The other film that we have there is Omiyari, Omiyari a song from, from Kishibashi. Kishibashi yeah, is this amazing. musician. I don't know. I've never known him, but this producer, you know him, Laura, I see you nodding your head. Yeah. Amazing. I didn't know him until the producer, who's a friend of mine, came to me. He goes, Dave, I got this film. And, you know, this guy's amazing. He's my favorite artist in all the world. We take a look at it. And he's like a violinist, guitarist, songwriter. He was commissioned to do a piece uh, in honor of the Japanese-American people who were interned in World War II. And you see him through this film go through his own kind of reckoning as to what that is, because his parents were immigrants from Japan. They moved to Athens, Georgia, and he was born and raised in Athens, Georgia. So the sensibility, it wasn't sure like, you know, where his, if he had a you know, sensibility of being Japanese or Japanese American, but you can see him through this project start to unfold, you know, things that he didn't know, things that were not taught. We are not taught in schools, you know, now they call it, you know, what critical race theory, duh, it's called American history. Don't get it twisted, people, you know. So he's, you know, he he himself goes through this thing and meeting him and his producers and the people who did not know what happened in World War Two. Mostly these are non-Asian folks who got involved and they were just like, you know, blown away. And you can see when we screened the film at this large venue and it was packed. You could see a lot of the non-Asian people who were like seeing for the first time what that is. They've heard about it, right? It's like some people are like, I heard about the Holocaust, but I don't know what that is. And so it's kind of like, that's what they're, you could see them going through this transformation. Again, is another thing that underscored the power of what film can do to like bridge gaps or like bridge communities and just really set up dialogue and communication. And then the third piece that we had is a piece called Hidden Kingdom. And it's really, they pitched it to me as a short project, but it's really an episodic. 
they follow five dancers out of New York. And they're like five short films that are like seven minutes, six minutes long that fit into this. And they film them through utilizing movement as an expression of their lives and their art. And it's amazing because it's it's all BIPOC. I hate that word, but that's, I guess that's the word we use, right? BIPOC um, <laughs> artists, you know, that they, that they lifted up and gave them their, you know, six minutes to like, to do their, their dance, their art, but talk about what their communication, and they're from Haiti, Colombia, uh, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and it's just, and it's, they're from different uh, boroughs in New York City. So, you know, and these two women, they go by the name of Sacred Pact. It's uh, Sunny Lee and Jacqueline Davis. They're amazing. And you could just feel the artistry that come, you know, the creativity. I'm not that creative person, but I'm the audience guy. So I have the best, I have the best job in all the world. Cause I get to be the one that reacts to what they throw at me. Right. Okay. And I can share that with other people, even like I'm sharing with you and you're going to be like, Oh, I want to see that. But these women, they're younger. I would say they're, they're definitely less than 40, probably younger than 35, but you just feel the energy of what they're trying to do. And they're trying to sell this as an episodic, kind of the series and hopefully someone will pick it up and they did a beautiful job across the board. And so it inspires me to see all this talent from all these people. And I'll be honest, when they're people of color, LGBTQ or people who always felt like marginalized, it just kind of like this makes me feel good inside about what we do and what we do. So long, long answer to a short, <laughs> it was this whole week in my life that just really made me stand up because I was like, flitting back and forth. I was in Austin on Friday, LA on Saturday for the DGA Awards because we had one of our filmmakers did a film. She got nominated for a DGA and an Oscar. But just to be around that presence and watch their lives change, this is what I was meant to do. You know, this was the con. Bruce, I know you know, you know, because this is like, you know, when you hear the calling, you got to answer. There are a lot of us go through life. We don't hear the calling. We're sitting there trying to figure it out when it's always been knocking on your head. So, you know, but it took a life-changing experience that said, okay, wake up, what you going to do? So I wrote in my little diary, I looked back at it the other day, this journal I had a long time ago, and it's like, I wrote, life began at 32. And that's when my life kind of like, kind of, I jumped into that space. And my mother became my best friend, Bruce, at age 32. I went to her and I said, all right, my husband's dying of AIDS, HIV, back in, it was 1987. What do I do? I'm saying goodbye to my, to, to my partner. And she said, I said, my mother uh, lost her husband when she was 43. And I, we were 11, my brother was 15, and my sister was probably eight. And I thought, how does this woman do this at age 43 with three kids who are going to go through hormonal changes? And she's by herself. So I went to her and I said, what do you do? And she goes, and I said, this is my situation. She goes, I feel for you. She said, but I don't know. You know, she says, David, my faith and my family. You know, she had brothers and sisters that just, you know, came for her and we all became one big family, but it was her faith. And it's funny because I said, well, you don't have the answer. And she goes, no. She goes, I never had the answers. All I did was just do what I was taught by my mother. Hmm. And she said, you guys always put me on a pedestal. And she goes, you guys need to stop that. And I said, okay, I'm good with that. So, and then we became best friends, you know, for how many years later. And then, you know, when she passed, it was really sad, but I got that gift, you know, of being best friends with my mother who had been my parent and it just shifted. And when it shifted as an adult person, you're still a child, right? Cause she's always going to be your mom. But as an adult child, you kind of do that relationship. I know you have that same relationship, Bruce, with your mom, because your mom is, your mom is fantastic. No, that's one word. That is one word. Yes. <laughs> no, but, but you know I mean? But you have these people and look, I'm just as, as the elder in this room, cause I know I'm the eldest. There are people that will come into your life 
that will definitely, you know, make that impact. You know, even while my mother's gone and she's gone on, but I saw also too that she made an impact not just with us, but with folks like everywhere she was active oh, yeah. in the Presbytery. I couldn't even go to a church in another city without something like, you know how they make you stand up at Presbyterian church, like, hi, I'm David Magdale, I'm from that. And like, oh my God, your angel's kid. And I was like, oh Lord have mercy. I had to call her like, why do I have to like deal with that? And she was like cracking me up. But, but that's who she was, right? I mean, that's who she was because she was like, that was her leader. And the good thing was, she instilled that, I think, in all of us. And every day I have that talk with her, you know, because it's like, like you were saying, Mickey, it's crazy right now. This stuff is crazy, you know. Anyway, I, I talk too much, so let me, let me, back and be quiet. but I guess it's a podcast that we're supposed to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> talking is allowed. Yeah, talking is allowed. You're, you're in the right, sp- but, you're in the right space and you are in the right business. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, if that was what inspired me today was just like life inspired me this week. That was that moment because I was able to stop and see it. You know, I mean, it was, and it was right there. You know, it wasn't I had to search for it. I, it's interesting. I meet a lot of young people right now who are like, oh, I'm searching for what my thing is. I said, girl, it's always been there. I said, just open yourself up to receiving. We're always blocking the blessings, right? We're the ones, I know, I know, that's how I am. I, I like, oh, I'm going to do it my way when, you know, the universe and Jesus, whoever you believe in, tells you, like, no, you're going to go this way. But so you try to go that way, like, huh? I told you, and you have to go back to square one. Like, dang! <laughs> but in my in my years now, I just listen. Okay, I got that. <laughs> For folks who are just meeting David, uh, definitely follow him on Instagram because then you can just feel jealous that you like. I watch because I know you, so it's a little different. But it's like, I you're here, and then you're at South by Southwest, and then you're all this, all this. I mean, it. it, it I'm sure it looks glamorous. It looks more glamorous for us, but I know you're doing. Tons we're, of work. We're, we work hard and we play hard. And I've got an amazing team, people that work together with us. Because that's the thing. If you work hard, we can play hard, too. We eat. That's one thing you will see. If you follow me, you will see food. You will see food. We came back from Austin, Texas Wednesday. And yesterday, I am like, I am craving like real Chinese food. So we went and we just like got everything on the menu. Everything. It was great. It was really good. But no, but it's, it is, you know, Bruce, what you say. I am blessed and I am grateful because I have a job that I wake up to that I, I don't get them like, Ugh. I get them like, okay, what are we going to do? And for me, there's never enough hours in a day because I want to do everything. And that's, that's my biggest problem is that I can't do everything and I have to learn more to delegate and just to take a step back and breathe. You know, it's time to just like, sometimes you just have to let like, let like, breathe. well, you guys are all not here because you all know, right? So I'm not telling you anything new, but it's nice to know that you have comrades who understand what you're going through, you know, and, you know, we'll meet here for 45 minutes. We'll go on, but, you know, hopefully we made an, you know, an impact. And like I said, and I've been doing this now and I never thought I was going to have my own business. I never thought I was going to go to the Oscars. I, I saw the Oscars for the first time in second grade. Right. My mother let me stay up and I wrote everything down of all the categories. I don't know what I was doing. I was kind of this geeky kid. And I was like, let me just write. I wrote everything down on the back. I remember exactly the back. Do you remember when you go to JCPenney's and you got T-shirts and uh, they had like the cardboard inserts? Oh, that's, so that's right. why I wrote all the art, the all the uh, all the winners on. And I took that with me to school. And in the middle of school, I would like peek at it. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. You know, stuff like that. But I remember that. Moment. And the first time I went to the Oscars, it was like standing there like, damn, how did this Filipino boy from South Stockton, 95206, get here? And then I look at what we, I've been doing for the last 20 years and still there. You know, and it's like, and I'm just like blessed to do that. Um, I think this is what I've been 
meant to do but didn't know that. You know, I went to school at Davis in Berkeley, got a degree in um, education. I thought it was going to teach the world. It was going to go back to Stockton, bring all the kids up out of South Stockton. We're all going to go to college together. And then I woke up. People have to want to be with you hmm. before you can take them with you, right? And so it's like, okay, so there was something else meant for me to do. Um, and being in this space where I am now, when I look back at everything that I've done work-wise, it's all led up to where I am now. Um, and it's great to look back at that. Oh, and, and I'm a proud 66-year-old man. I, I'm a card-carrying Medicare person, and I wear it, so I don't care. You know, it's like, but you know, you get to a certain age. When I turn 50, it's like, hmm, I don't have to do that no more. You know, someone else can do that. That was that, and that's that's the benefits of getting old. It's like I don't have to do that no more. I don't have to listen to you, you know. And pandemic, I don't know how you all feel, but pandemic and lockdown, it made me. It it was like another reckoning for yourselves. Or like, who do we need in our lives anymore? What relationships are draining, and who do we need to throw out? And you can do it nicely. Like I love you, but no, <laughs> you gotta go. Gotta go. Let's talk a little bit about what what you're. Well, let me ask Mickey or or, or Laura. Do you have any questions for David at this point? Do you have like uh, anything? There's a lot. This is why I invited David to be out here because there's just so much good, so much good stuff. Laura has questions. Go for it, Laura. Go for it, Laura. Well, I'm just wondering if there are stories out there that you feel like could be told, but you haven't seen them yet. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's interesting because where I work, they usually come to me and like, hey, I've got this film, we're done with, you know, we, we, we you know, we got this, we might need your help. I'm trying to, that's a good, let me think on that because I don't really, I don't have an answer for that. But uh, one example, though, that came to me two years ago, oh, maybe two, one example that came to me two, recently is a film called Like a Rolling Stone, The Life and Times of Ben Fong Torres. Mm. Ben Fong Torres, for those of you who don't know, is um, is a journalist, Asian-American journalist that was in the Bay Area. Uh, and, but he was the first music editor for Rolling Stone magazine in the late 60s and 70s, whom every rock star wanted him to interview him. It was important for them. But for us, he was, he was always that unsung hero. I know for me, in 11th grade, reading Rolling Stone on the bus to Berkeley, and you would see his byline, I thought, ooh, look. And it was Ben Fong Torres. He's Mexican-Chinese is what I thought, right? <laughs> um, but there's a whole story behind all that. But the fact that that was possible, that there was someone that was doing that. He was like interviewing people from Michael Jackson, Bob Dylan, Marvin Gaye, the Jefferson you know, Starship, everybody on there. And so when this woman came to me, Suzanne Jokai, uh, filmmaker that I've known for a long time, she was always that person that was like going to every seminar on documentary filmmaking. But we always wondered what she was going to do. She made short films. She's from the Bay Area, too. So she goes, I finished my movie, and it took her 12 years. But it was that story that she um, brought to the table. So that was one of that. Here's someone who's basically that people need to know. All the other people at Rolling Stone got their props. But here's this Asian-American guy that didn't. But the funny thing is, Bruce, is that he was at San Francisco State the same time your mom was. He was the editor for the student newspaper when all the uh, uprising and the change in, um, you know, when the civil rights movement was hitting SF State, he was the newspaper editor for that. And then he was also doing community work in addition to Rolling Stone in Chinatown and in Chinatown, San Francisco, uh, as the community newspaper. And I can't think of what the name of it is. So anyway, so that movie came to us and it went to Tribeca last year. And it's, it's amazing. So it will be making the circuit. So kind of FYI, you'll, I think it's coming to San Francisco. I don't know where you guys are all at, but it will be there. Um, but it's just 
you know, you get to, and we got to work with him in, during Tribeca. I was like, you know, you just feel like, you know, when you meet people that you've always like thought about, like, oh, I want to be like him. It's really, I fanboyed him on the first Zoom call. And I said, oh my God, I love you. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the eye roll. But anyway, and then, but then this other film too is this, this film called Mr. Soul. It's on HBO Max right now. It's Mr. Soul with an exclamation point. The uh, director that had been working on that for 10 years. And it's this amazing story about this, uh, her uncle, who's the uh, openly gay black man uh, back in the 60s and 70s. And he had his own TV, I would say, you know, if it's a variety show or talk show called Soul, S-O-U-L with an exclamation point. And what he did was he brought black culture, black life, black art, black love to the world every Wednesday at 10 p.m. on whatever PBS station. Mm-hmm. So when she came to me and I said, damn, I knew that, I know that, that, um, television show because I discovered it in seventh grade and you know when she said you know this is what I'm working on and it's amazing uh and she got everything and it's him it's on HBO Max right now um but his life and he was openly gay he had like James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni sitting in a conversation together talking about that and it was funny because we worked on it at Tribeca in 2018 and she was having a hard time getting distribution and everyone was like, oh, it's just like, I'm not your Negro. I was like, no, it's not. You know, and you get these people that are gatekeepers in these different distribution places who don't understand because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the other thing that pandemic taught us too, is like we were sitting there 2020 when all this was going on and we were locked down and then George Floyd dies or is murdered. And you're going like, what, what is it that, what can we do? And then I, Everybody was at home online watching, you know, content because we couldn't go out to the movie. Everything was shut down. And so I turned to my uh, one of my colleagues here in my office, Vince Johnson, and I said, what can we do? And we knew people watching stuff online. I said, what if we start our own streaming platform, like virtual screen that we can do? Because the film is really good. It got great reviews out of the out of uh, Tribeca. And we knew we had some stories waiting in the wings. And just that moment, you know, when people were trying to understand what we, what should we do to stand up against all this that's going on, I said, this is where we need to hear, his name is Ellis Hayslip. We need to hear from him and through this movie about what he did when change was starting to happen. And what he did was he brought this show together so that, you know, people can know about what, what this was going on in the black. But he introduced the world to like Earth, Wind and Fire, he had Gladys Knight, he had Patti LaBelle, he had Dick Gregory, he had Sidney Portier together with um, Harry Belafonte. So people, and then he had the mother of George Jackson who was uh, murdered, he was the Black Panther, and then he had the mother on shortly thereafter. But it was a voice for the community. And so this is what he did, hmm. you know, during change. And he, you know, when, when he actually impacted that, I said, so I called the filmmaker up and I said, hey, Melissa, Melissa Hazlip. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, and she started like complaining. Like, I don't have a distributor. I said, we, we knew we were going to have PBS the following year. I said, well, would you take a ride with us? We're going to start this platform. We'll do it on, on Eventive. We know people in the independent theater world, like in New York, in LA, San Francisco, we can go to them. The movie's really good and see if they will take us on as part of their screening at home series. So people go on, you can buy it for $12. And it made it, they made it feasible. So that way it was a... Um, a financial deal that everybody won, the theater won, the filmmaker won. And she said, yeah, I said, let's just try it. I said, we'll pay for the platform. That'll be part of what we're going to do. And then we'll push it out and we'll do all the press on it. So we called the people in New York, which was the Maisel's Theater. And they said, yes. 
I'm friends with a fellow that runs the Lemley Theater chain here in L.A., and they said yes. And then Vince knew the people over at the Roxy Cinema over in San Francisco, and they said yes. So we started to go. We said August 28th is the date we're going to go. And then we started to push it out there. Slowly but surely, these other independent film theaters started calling it. We want to put that on our platform. And then Alamo Draft House, they said, we want to put that on our Alamo at home, too. And then by the, t- so we opened on the 28th, we we're going to go, I said, look, by hell or hard water, we got three theaters and they're pretty notable. We can get reviews in the different cities. August 20th was our date. We had 62 theaters that had come on board by then. Wow. Mid September, we had 98. Did we make a lot of money? No, but we made a lot of money. You know what I mean? But the word out, we had an amazing feature in the New York Times when it opened, you know, on that platform back in, in August. And then it went on to like the New Yorker discovered, everyone started to discover Ellis Hazlip. And it was just something I thought I was, I felt like people were out protesting. And where I live in downtown LA, every day, uh, the BLM movement would come through um, where I live. And, you know, I thought, you know, with COVID and my age and having diabetes and high blood pressure, I'm like, I don't think I need to jump out there with with that. I'd like to, you know, um, but I could hear my mom going like, I don't know. <laughs> this would be like she's like you know, I could hear like don't make me come snatch you outside and bring you back in. So I thought, what can we do? This is what we can do, right? We can we can create our own platform so we can at least bring that message. So that because that's the other thing too. I think back everybody in this time period, you're going to ask yourself, let's say four years from now, what did I do during pandemic? Mm. At least I can say that's what I did. This is what we did. This is what we did. And what I'm finding with filmmakers and creators. They were creating, they were making movies, trying to, you know, under under COVID. And so it was a time when you just did what you needed to do, but we were compelled to do something. And that's the other thing too, when I talked to young people, I said, this is your revolution. This is your change. If you don't take this by the by the hand and make it yours, then you're going to be missing out. You don't have yourself to blame 15, 20 years now, from now, but change takes time, but it's there and you can, you can mobilize that. Anyway, yeah, I got preaching, but... No, but I'm just saying, if anything, that's what pandemic taught us was really, you know, what can you do, do what you need to do. So we're able to start that platform and to give that voice. And now we use it for like, we'll do uh, talkbacks where people can come in and and we'll have filmmaker to filmmaker talkbacks in there and just try to set that up. So we have that. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so much good stuff. Mickey, do you have any questions? I can move on. I can move on. But do you have any? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a question as a concerned mother. <laughs> um, okay. So my daughter, my daughter will be graduating from Middle Tennessee State University this May, and she has been studying film, which, you know, super practical. Great. You're going to get a job. Um, But I love my child very much. She is brilliant and beautiful. And I think the most amazing thing, I mean, as well as her. As you should. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So she wants to be a screenwriter. And she, you know, and she also, she's really interested in documentaries. So like hearing you talk about documentaries, hearing you talk about people actually getting their movies out is really great. And you're like, this filmmaker worked on a film for 10 years. And I'm like, oh my God, she's never going to eat. Um, (laughs) So it's like both panic and like this beautiful world of film that can change people's lives. And I, I have, I have collaborated with my friend Gareth Higgins on, this really beautiful festival that we do together called Movies and Meaning. And we just screen the most beautiful movies. I mean, I'm I'm like not a movie person, but like if somebody picks a great movie for me, I'll sit down and watch it. And like, so I love being with Gareth because he shows me all these movies I would never watch. 
And every year at the festival, I'm exposed to all these glorious movies, right? So just as a mom, I'm like, you know, and hearing you talk about your mom supporting you too, I'm like, how do I support this artistic child who wants to be in film? How, you know, like I think so many of us have children who are, you know, who are artists, you know, many people who in this time, that is how they're activating, right? It is how they're saying, this is what I'm going to do to change the world is I am going to make art. I'm going to get out my camera, right? All of us now have the ability to make a film in our pocket, right? So these young people are making, my sons make music. Like literally my 16 year old is on Spotify right now because he can make music in his bedroom. And it's just like, I, like she's in these classes where she feels like she's not getting a realistic, you know, like they're telling her how to go out and and meet with people. And she's like, they're teaching me to be a corporate shrill. And I'm like, baby, I know, like, I know you just want to go out there and do your thing. And so I'm just like, how do we encourage, you know, all these, these sweet little activist spirits who are trying to change the world with their film and their music and all the things. And there are the realities of the world that we're trying to navigate and particularly as people of color, you know, and and otherwise marginalized folks, like they have to kind of make a way in their in this world, you know. So I don't know. I just thought maybe if you, with all you've seen with these filmmakers that you worked with, who have you know been trying to get their precious films out into the world for years, and it's like they're told things like, oh well, we just had I am not your Negro. We don't need your film, right? Like, how do they navigate this kind of thing? You raised your daughter. Right. How old is she? Twenty. Mm-hmm. She is twenty-one, almost twenty-two. Yeah. I mean, so you've had twenty-one years of training with her. Yeah. Now it's her. It's her time. And the only thing you can do is like, you know, just be as supportive as you can. But also, you can still give her the reality check. Like, you know, what do you need to do? But for her, personally, as an artist, she should. It's really if she can find her collective, the people that will support her artistically. And can feed off of those, you know, their 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 creativity. Mm-hmm. Together, they can like really try to make something. So, after she's in Tennessee right now. Yeah. Where is she where is she going next after she graduates? Well, that's up in the air. Um, you know, Atlanta has a lot of film stuff now. So, you know, I think that's she's really been thinking about that as a next step, um, kind of staying in the South and and going towards Atlanta. She's also going to learn how to code. So she's got a backup plan of like, okay, let me work in coding because, you know, you can actually make quite a bit of money doing that while she, you know, does her film, lets her film career happen, you know. Has she written a script and think that it sounds like she wants to stay in the narrative side of things or? You know, she's written stuff in school, but I, you know, that's where I'm like, I'm not seeing, you know, has she written stuff? She's kind of dabbling in everything. Like she's making costumes and she's helping other people with their films, you know? So I think she's right. just in that kind of just let it all flow. Trying to figure it out, yeah. right? So just last week when I was at South by, I did a mentor session. One of the women that came through and you get, it's like round tables. You get 15 minutes with each person. And she came in. She's great. She presented really well. She goes, well, I want to do this. And I have a play and I'm going to make this movie. And the movie's going to be about play then i got a podcast so i can turn the podcast into a series and i said i just kept listening i said okay but what do you want to do first i said because that's where you have to pick i said nothing there is no wrong answer pick the one that you think is where you want to put your heart and soul into for right now because what you're going to be is distracted and it's really hard to give your attention to four projects 
that you think are all important, but pick the one. And said so to me, just listening to you, sounds like you need to write that play and get that play produced now. That seems like the basis of where everything else is going to do. And you haven't shown it to anybody. You're like, oh, I'm going to get this theater you know, in the Bronx and I'm going to do this. And I said, you know what? Stop talking about it. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. I have an 80-20 rule and it's slowly turning to 85-15 that 80% of the world talks about it, 20% do it. Now it's like 85-15. I said, you want to be about well, part of the 20 because those are the ones that are getting projects done. A lot of times I'll get people that come to me like, hey, Dave, I need some publicity on. I've got this project that's just about getting started. And, you know, can you get a press release into the into Variety? And I said, and I'm never, and I'm that guy that's not the fan. Like, yeah, let's go do it. I was like, why don't we wait to be, why don't we get it finished? Because you don't want to yeah. be around. Hey, I read about you in Variety like five years ago. Where's that project? Mm. You know, yeah. I'd rather hit hit people like, Marcus Smith got his is now going to be premiering his film at Tribeca. And then people were like, whoa, where'd that come from? We didn't know. Great. You weren't supposed to know till now. Because you don't want, you know, and also to the things I'm concerned about with people putting things early, unless they need a press release because it's going to help bring in financiers, is if you put your idea out there, someone else can snatch that up, make the short film about it, and your idea is gone. You know, then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, someone else did that. We already seen that. We're turning that down. So I just, I want, you know, I I think people need to be strategic. And so I'm always open for like people to ask me questions because, you know, we'll just give you the hard truth. Like, you know, figure, and it's it's hard because you're sitting there and she's about to graduate. Do you guys remember when you were about to graduate college? I remember going like, it was really weird. It was January. And I thought, shit, I'm going to be done, you know, after four years at Davis come come May. And like, what am I going to do? I said, I better go to graduate school because I'm not ready to to go in the real world and get a job. But even then I, you know, I was a telemarketer, you know, calling people like, will you subscribe to this magazine? But it was just what you had to do because I wasn't ready. I was ready. And then I had to jump out there. I wasn't prepared. You know, I was always a a student of life, I think, because I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or uh, I wasn't that, I didn't have that path path, you know, that was, but I think for your, you know, with your daughter, I think, you know, she should probably sit down and talk to a lot of people. It's going to be helpful if she has time to do internships. You know, if she wants to go to Atlanta, see if she can, I don't know a little bit, maybe, you know, Tyler Perry's so huge there and he employs a lot of people. Everybody's there yeah. filming, you know, but he has that studio that's there that maybe there's a way that she can come in. A lot of productions are going on. She should, you know, if she wants to try that, then she can see what the realness is because then she might get in like, oh, I don't think I really like that. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when I talk to people in film, it's like, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to build more LGBTQ BIPOC uh, folks to get into publicity and film publicity because I don't have enough. Mm. There's a lot, of, you know, um, and I want to see more of them um, because now is the time. There's so much pro- so much product that's coming out, content creators. So so it's not just film and TV, but you got streamers, you got everything else that's coming out, and they're looking for people that are experts at, in that profession who may have that perspective that maybe non-BIPOC folks, you know, don't have. And so you yeah. bring something to the table because always like, oh, I'm not white enough to get in. No, you don't, don't go that way. It's like you bring something extra into that because we've always had to be extra, right? You know, folks told you, you can't come in the front door, but we'll figure it out. We'll come through the back door, but we're going to get inside. Mm-hmm. You know, I can yell and scream in front of you, but you're not going to let me in. So, you know, let me just figure that out. And maybe you might know the security guard at the back door, like, come on in, you know, but you but as people who have been, you know, on the out, we've always had to figure figure it out. And for people who've always said yes, this is an awakening for them because they're getting told no, and they're mm-hmm. screaming. They're screaming the loudest. They're screaming because they yeah. think 
And then they're like, oh, you know, they're afraid they're going to be the minority. It's There's no minority majority. It's just you need to open the door to open up that circle. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's, that's right. we're going to be like survived together. You know, because we built on a history of haves and haves not, whites not blacks or whatever it is, it's just getting rid of that history is taking some time. I mean, you know, in, in order, someone asked me that. So last year I worked on three films that were amazing. The Neutral Ground, which is about the takedown of the statues in the South. It's on PBS. Amazing. This film, this filmmaker has a reckoning with his own blackness because he's half Filipino, half black, but he never embraced his blackness until he got involved with taking the statues down in New Orleans. And you see in this film, he starts to, and even his father says, you've never been black. You always want to be somebody else. Wow. Mm. It's a great, and he's a comedian plus a writer. He's really, it's really great. So the neutral ground, the other film we had was unapologetic. And it's about these two uh, women activists um, uh, who are also LGBTQ, who are really raising awareness of all the people who are being murdered by Chicago police. It's an in your face, amazing documentary. It was too black for some people. Mm. Uh, some certain critics were like, Dave, I can't work on that. I'm like, mm. You know, that's why I thought, well, then I wish there was a counterpart to you that I could go to who would totally get it. And that's where I see us missing, you know, both on the journalism side, but also in the PR side. And then the other film is called Ferguson Rises. And it's this film and it's a beautiful film about the killing of Michael Brown Jr. in Ferguson. Uh, the filmmaker sat on this for a while because he got the footage early on right after the, the, the murder and followed everything through. But there was another film that popped out at Sundance that um, called Who Streets that was making the rounds early on. And so yep. he came to me because I'm just trying to put this out. And it got into Tribeca uh, and it got into Tribeca because it was still kind of pandemic. He, he, he was mostly on Tribeca Online and he won the audience award for Tribeca Online. Hmm. But the film is amazing because it takes you deep in the community of how everybody was impacted. And it was like one of the, unfortunately, one of the first, you know, murders that got, you know, had to get people going that Trayvon Martin. I mean, you can go through the whole list, but I looked at those three. And then this other film that's out now called who we are a chronicle of racism in America, all four of those. And that one is about this one. uh, He was a former ACLU lawyer in Seattle. Now he goes around doing, they're kind of like Ted talks but talking about how we have to end white supremacy in order to end racism. But all four of those exist like at the same time. And it's like, they're so amazing. And I think there's, there's, you know, there's something that's going on where these are important, but I mean, Sony pictures, classics pick that up, but I think it's going to go, I think it's, if it hasn't shown on PBS, it's going to be coming through on, on one of those channels. But anyway, I just, we're living in that time where these are important, important themes, you know, that people are really feeling and, you know, people are trying to uh, document, but, you know, I think she, your daughter just needs to find, you know, what's, what's going to motivate her. Where's her passion? Yeah. Cause that's, what's going to drive yeah. is your passion writing. And there's a lot of people that are out there doing it. I can think of African-American women like Lena Waithe, right? Mm-hmm. She, she has her show on um, Showtime, which is um, Chi Town. And then she's got like a lot of other things that she that she's writing and she's also supporting a lot of other filmmakers. And then you've got um, Issa Rae, you know, with Insecure. Oh, love Issa Rae. Yes, love Issa But look what she did in terms of raising awareness Inglewood, not Hollywood, but Inglewood and changed what that person, and then also gave a lot of lift to African-American artists that are here in Los Angeles who don't. That's right. That. And all of a sudden 
they became, I wouldn't say mainstream, but also they were getting the attention, you know, from everywhere else. But it was like through that one show, not only was she able to get the story up, but she also brought everybody with with them. That's and then right. you've got Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay's doing whatever she's been doing. And she's always, you know, bringing people through. And that's the other thing, too. You know, Ava and I have been friends for a long time when she was in the publicity world. And we were, I was at an event that she was hosting and I was sitting next to somebody else and someone else. And we were like sitting there like, and we looked around the room and it was all these, all the people of color who were working. They were, they were finally getting there, you know, getting created. And we looked at, you know, Ava and this is what she does is like spreads it out to everybody, you know, and it's like, you know, everyone that's been marginalized, that's what they do over at Array. And the woman I was sitting next to, and she said, you know, we own our own businesses. This is what we need to do. And I said, well, I don't tell nobody, but that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, you, know, you have to live by example versus yeah. having to shout it out, right? Yeah. And it's like, so if I can bring people through who are from the communities that I want to um, lift up or people that I want to see in the business, that's what I want to try to do. Mm-hmm. And it's no diss to anybody else, but our people don't have those opportunities. And if mm-hmm. I can be the person that can provide that opportunity, then my work is good. Even if I... Awesome. If you don't stay and you go on, I had one one fellow that I found through the Asian Film Festival came in and he goes, oh, I don't know. And he was fresh out of college. I don't know what I want to do. I said, well, you like film, so come work with us. I said, you know, I need an assistant and we can see that, you know, he, he was too good to be anybody's assistant. So I said, let's do enough. And now he's killing it as like the senior account executive at a, um impact uh, producing outfit. And it just, it is so great to watch. And he, you know, he is a uh, gay Latino man. Um, but he had so much to offer and he would always put us in check, you know, and he'd always be like, so well, what about the, he goes, what about the lesbians or what about the, lesbians? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. and that's what you need. You need yeah. someone that's going to tell you. I always look for those people that are younger than 30 because I always, I always want to know what are the eight year olds saying across the <laughs> playground over there? Cause no, the eight year olds are they're They're conspiring about what they're going to do next to get over to the big playground. Right? And they will tell you the truth. <laughs> they won't tell you the truth. They'll That's for sure. be like, we don't think this. Like, okay. But it's just like, you know, the voice of youth and I think your daughter, there this is a really good time for her to jump in here because these stories is what people are looking looking for. It may not show on the screen because everybody's trying to do Marvel, et cetera, you know, and all the superheroes. But there is voice that's out there. I've seen, you know, in the Asian American world, 2018 was a pivotal year for us because it was crazy rich Asians. Yeah, people in our community, some people didn't like it, some didn't, but it opened doors. Yeah. And the interesting yeah. thing, too, and Bruce, you know this, that when the door opened, people who actually had talent came running through. People that were, like, wanting to hang out at the party and go to here and there. It's like people who actually been writing scripts and have been trying to get their – People are starting to see them. Funny thing though is Hollywood's going like, well, you're not Chinese. It's like, dude, it's like it's you know you got to. It's not just because that was Chinese or whatever it was. You you know you have to like make it work, but you can because there are opportunities there. There are also more people rising. It's still slow, but they're rising in the ranks of who can make things happen, who can greenlight things. There and that's the, the the people that are sitting at those tables. It's it's always we're always having to remind them. It's like. You might feel like you're the only Asian person at the table and you might feel, well, it's kind of tokenism. Use your tokenism. You're in the room. Yeah. You know, it's like you're in the room. So stop complaining like, oh, you know, I don't want to be a token. Like, I want to be a token. Let me in there. <laughs> <laughs> Open the door. So sit there, but bring other people yeah. with you. So you're not the only person. But if, we, if we're always standing on the sideline, yeah. we're always going to be standing. 
understand that. If we're always serving coffee, we're going to be serving coffee. But if you're sitting down there, but understand if you're sitting there, bring other people through. Stop trying to act like the white man in the room because that doesn't work. It won't ever work for you. That's why I try to tell people. It's like, well, I'm so afraid that I don't want to talk about the Asians because I don't want to be pigeonholed. They've already pigeonholed you. Right. <laughs> they did already. So, you know, they're, and they brought you because they think, because they can go and say, look how diverse we are, right? I've well, got and maybe everybody too, on there. Like, if you, if you open the door, kick open the door, leave it open for other people, right? If you, if, if you, you know, you, yeah, maybe you've come through and you only get to do this certain thing, but it leaves it open for the next and the next and the next, and the next. I'm like there, I've been seeing ads for, um, I think the, it's a horror movie called Uma maybe. And it's, and it's like basically oh all in Asian. Yes, yeah, it's an Asian cast. And I and I was thinking when I'm seeing, I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie that right. had an Asian lead. I mean, ever. it's our I mean, I avoid horror movies, but oh. still, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, in America, you know, like I know there are other, you know, but in yeah. America to have an a, a largely American known actress, an Asian American actress being the lead, I was like whoa and a story that seems very asian i don't i mean i was just blown away and then i was also like i don't know that i've ever seen a horror movie and it's like that's not the pinnacle of success for an asian woman to be the lead in a horror movie but it's like <laughs> we sh it should just be a thing a normal thing right and maybe that's because crazy rich asians which didn't which wasn't a horror movie i mean not really it, you know so it's like <laughs> maybe to some people it was but i thought it was fabulous but it was a totally different genre but it's like if we had stayed in that one genre thinking only, okay, now these are what Asian films are. No, it, it, it opened up kind of American film in a particular way. And so, you know, I hear what you're saying, like have almost a greater vision. What you come through and do may, may not be what other people come through and do. Like with Issa Rae, she started with a web series. Look, I was a huge fan of awkward black girl. I watched every episode of that thing. And never thought she was going to do too. what, you know, insecure for God's sake. And, you know, she's opened that door and she's brought people with her. And, you know, and I think like helping mm -hmm. young people or anybody, right. Even reminding myself, I don't have to do the biggest thing. Let me do something and focus on it and do it, do it well, and then see what happens. But I, like you were saying, David, I get really like, I get all over the place and I'm like, I should be doing this and this and this and this and this. And I don't get that one thing done that could be the thing that yeah. I can build on. So that like, I mean, that's speaking to me right now. Like, okay, focus. <laughs> but you know what? But awesome. COVID awesome. took away our focus. During COVID, yeah. I was like, man, I'm all over the place. Yeah. I'm like, bing, 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 bing. And I thought, Brain oh. fog and. Brain fog. You know, just because you were thinking about every, everything and now we're dealing with war in Ukraine, I don't know, blah, 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 we're complaining. But I think at the end of the day, you have to have the talent to walk through the door. You can't come in and try to bullshit your way because you will see you and you won't have that moment. That moment will be gone forever. You know, and as everyone has said, you're only as good as your last project, you know, you know, whatever. And then someone says, wow, you work on the greatest movies. You know, how do you pick your films? It's like, they have to speak to me. They have to make you cry, laugh, piss you off, something. And I always look for things like, well, has that story been told before? You know, it's like, you know, the bad acts from when it came to it's like, nobody knows about Cambodian people living in the middle of like, you know, Michigan. And it had so much heart. Um, you know, the other film you talked about before we came on was The Queen of Basketball. And that's nominated yeah. for a short documentary, Oscar. Lucia, Lucy Harris was this woman from Mississippi uh, who was 
born and raised on a, uh, her family were sharecroppers. I don't, it's on YouTube. It's on New York Times YouTube. If you watch it, 22 minutes. Shaquille O'Neal and now Steph Curry have come on as executive producers. Um, it's been a great, it's a great film where she talks to the camera talking about her own, what she, what she had to do in 1970, in the, like 74 to 76, where she just, because I just wanted to play basketball. And she, just, and she giggles through the whole thing. And she's like, you know, they just said, yo, you know, she's, uh, but she's they call it dark and tall and that's all. And then later on when she started to play basketball, it's like, Dark and tall, throw her the ball. You know, something like that. Mm. Um, but she's been the Sun Sun hero, and she just felt like she just you know, wanted everyone to know what she had done. Um, we screened it for her at Tribeca, and it was amazing. She never saw it before. We had it was out, Tribeca was outdoors last year, and all her kids were there, and the kids were like, oh. wow, Mom, I didn't even know. You know, which we heard about you possibly, that you were this, you know, basketball person. We just laughed it off. Um, and then it... You know, we kept playing it, kept playing it, made it to the shortlist and made it. Now it's in the nomination. Um, prior to the nomination, we were about to do an interview with her, <clears throat> with a USC um, documentary uh, professor. And the day before the interview, we got the call that she had passed away. It was like January 28th, which was like a before oh. the nomination came out. And so everyone was just kind of like, damn, she was only 66, um, but she passed away. So then all of us on the film team, we said, well, we have to make sure her legacy lives. You know, it's not just about the Oscar. I think the Oscar will help lift that up. New York Times has come in as partners really strong. We had an angel investor that came in really strong. That's why you see the billboards. And billboards were a short documentary. That's unheard of. We don't have Netflix. Um, but her story is what really pulls it all through because her story, and it's, you know, hopefully going to be inspiring. So this, well, anyway, I don't know when you're going to hear this. Cool. Yep. We're going to, yeah, we'll, um, so I hate to cut this off because I feel like. Oh, it's 11.05. Even Charlie David's like, how are we going to make that much time? Well, look at it. Here we go. And you left us, this is super positive. Like you left us speechless because I think we're all just like listening to you. So I so appreciate you coming. I mean, this has been so, I didn't even get to like. Oscar stuff. So Oscar, David gets to vote and all those yeah, kind of things. Voting this uh, week, and then um, ooh, what happened? We lost Laura. That's oh, okay. all right. Um, you know, she's mad. She's mad because I didn't get to the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> We're voting. Voting is open now, and the the um, ceremony's next Sunday. And I have a ticket to go, but I'll be in the carpet anyway early on because we're walking all over. So I have four films. Well, we got four to the Oscars. We're working on three right now. Ascension, which is about China. Amazing film on Paramount Plus if you haven't seen it. It's a young woman, Chinese-American woman, put this together, edited herself. But she goes to 51 cities around in China with her crew. And they it's really talking about how people there are chasing the Chinese dream where you come from communism, but capitalism really has taken. Um, even though you don't want to say that, but when you watch it, you don't even know that's what you're getting to like two days later. You're like, did she really just you know put that on? It's called Ascension and it's on um, Paramount+. Plus. The other one we have is a queen of basketball and then another one called uh, When We Were Bullies which is going to HBO on March 30th. And it's about this uh, man, from, uh, a filmmaker out of San Francisco is making another movie and he runs into someone that he knew in fifth grade and they start to remember, remember that kid that was, you know, that was bullied. And then they, his, this film is made about where they try to search out the teacher and other kids that were in their fifth grade class um, and what they all did as kids back then to this poor boy. So it's really strong. Then we have another film that we we got the nomination for, but they don't have us on this part. 
of the journey pack. And so, <laughs> and it's, it's amazing though. I can't take away from the film writing with fire. I don't know when it's going to be on PBS and it's about these women in, um, in India. They're Dalit is what they're, where they come from. And they're the lowest caste. Other, but they decided they're not getting news and information. They made their own media company and they're, they're pushing it out to all the people that are like them. You know, mm-hmm. the government hate them, men hate them because it's all women. Amazing film. This one woman is so the first five minutes just like blows you away. And then you meet them and it's like against all odds, against all you know adversity. These women are just like, killing it. you know, so anyway, that's what gets cool. me up in the morning. Also, I get to see Bruce, who I've known like all his life. I used to hang out with his uncle when we were in high school. I, I oh, his we mom really well. Yeah. They lived across the street from my sister, so we're all like family, right? So it's Soul Vikes, Soul Vikes. I wish I went to Edison. I, you all got to. I mean, I, I I hear stories about my uncles, which we probably shouldn't put That's out into the world. Too but. back then, the community of South Stockton is so vibrant yeah. and so strong because every every parent could be your parent there. It was one of those communities. Yeah. For good or bad, every parent was your and parent. It was, and it was mostly black, Asian, Latino, and a little bit of white white folks that were there, but it was it was this community. And I know folks, like you meet people who, when you date or marry somebody from that part of town, you hear too many stories about Sawstock. And they're like, awesome. uh, yeah. not that again. But it's just... <laughs> it's what shaped us and it shaped us a lot and you know all right i gotta we gotta wrap sorry, us up blah, 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 to make blah, blah. sure that we stay with you. no that, no this is great that was all aside no this is this is awesome you thank guys you. thank you for having me on. thank you so much all right. right uh laura laura uh what what do you got going on anything interesting you want to let folks know about what's happening uh in your part of the world uh you want to let folks know about I worked with a bunch of other uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders at Vanderbilt University, and Helen Zia is going to come talk to us and meet with a bunch of students. And I was like, this is like a living legend of Asian American civil rights uh, activism and journalism and queerness. So you all need to be here. And so I'm super excited. So, So follow Laura at Vanderbilt Divinity School on Instagram. Get to see those. When is she coming? She is coming uh, Thursday, March twenty fourth. Awesome! And this is the fortieth, the fortieth anniversary of his death. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Chin's murder. So it's like this is the big year. Mm-hmm. The Academy restored the film, and they're going to do something at the uh, at the. Oh, Academy. great! Awesome. Not the Academy Awards, but they'll screen it here at the Academy Museum. I think. Awesome. That's yeah. really great. Mickey, what do you yeah. what do you got going on? What's happening? Um. I'm gonna follow David's advice and move in silence while I work on my shit. <laughs> oh, so well, there's some things. There's some things brewing, but I'm things. moving there's in silence things. right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, and and for me, you all, some of you are gonna. You have, by the time you hear this, you'll know that I'm I'm moving on from the congregation I'm serving, and uh, everybody can ask me what I'm gonna do next, but I have absolutely no idea. Yay! I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna. Uh, you know, I, it's an interesting thing when you, we tell people to choose you and choose your health and take care of yourself and, uh, overwhelmingly people are supporting that decision. But then, the, you know, you get those moments where like, oh, we actually didn't mean it. No. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> mean yeah. It. You gotta mean you it. You gotta mean it. So I'm, uh, we are shifting, moving a lot of, uh, good stuff. And, you know, I love chaos a little bit. So, uh, I'll, I will thrive and rest a little bit in that. And then I'm going to sleep. 
out till September um, and then hang out. So everybody, thanks for being here. We're going to put all, all of the mentions of the shows, uh, the documentaries will get put in the show notes. I know we're all going to go out and look and I'm always more apt to watch the Oscars now, or at least track the Oscars because I know David, like I'm like always and our family is super like, we know that guy, right? We're always like trying to name drop. <laughs> it doesn't get us much though, David, I will say that no, uh, no, and it's okay. Like the coffee person, like I don't know David, man. I don't know him. Why would I give you coffee for free? What's going on? I don't. Yeah, what do you quit saying his name? Yeah, I don't. I don't even get that. <laughs> they can't even, Mister McDonald. <laughs> your coffee is ready. Yes. Oh God. All right, all again. Thank you for being here. We will see you uh, our next episode. We have some couple of guests lined up. This has been great, David. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thanks, Nikki, David. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here as well. All right. So good to meet David. you. See you all. So good to meet you. BRC and Friends was produced, written, and recorded by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dogs, Vespa or Bernie. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via BRC and Friends or B. Reyes Chow. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends.